In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. St. Paul is relating to the church in Galatia the events of Jewish history by way of allegory. He's using the history with which they were familiar and with a methodology which they liked and used for interpreting scripture to set them as an example um, of a warning of what was going on in that church. For there were some amongst them who claimed that you had to still obey all of the old Mosaic ceremonial law, circumcision, all the dietary things, and what have you, in order to be a proper Christian, in order to be saved. And St. Paul is at great pains over and over, not only in this letter, but other places, to correct this idea. Even to the point of having to correct St. Peter himself to his face about being separate from Gentiles uh, and the, the power of circumcision, the lack of power of circumcision, pointing to the fact that things are now changed, radically changed. That circumcision is not salvific. The law of itself is not salvific. It is Christ who is the Savior. It is the new law of grace which is salvific. So we have here in uh, this retelling of the story, part of the story of Abraham and Sarah and their sons, something beyond the literal sense. It's not just a story, but there here is a parallel that St. Paul is drawing, particularly for the church in Galatia, but there is still a lesson for us in it. So we have these two lists that correspond. If you recall, Abraham and Sarah could not conceive, and she was very, very old, well beyond the natural childbearing years. It was very distressing, as I know that that same situation has touched many of you. You know intimately and deeply how distressing that is, how difficult that is to live with. But God has given Abraham and Sarah a promise that they would bear a son, But their impatience got the better of them. And so Hagar turned to a slave, bondwoman Hagar, to naturally raise up a child. So we have contrasted Hagar, a slave woman, compared to Sarah, the wife, the free woman, the one with dignity. Ishmael is born of Hagar, naturally born, of the devices of men, impatience with God's promise to do things our way, a grasping type of birth, as it were, compared to Isaac, who was finally given to Abraham and Sarah by way of promise. For God always makes good on his promises, in his own time, in his own way. Hagar symbolizes the physical Jerusalem, the fleshly religion of the world. Sarah is the new Jerusalem, come down from above. As St. John writes in his Apocalypse, the new Jerusalem descending, the model, the church. Hagar is Judaism. She's preparatory, dispositive. Sarah is Christianity, the life of grace, the completion, the fulfillment of the promise. And thus Hagar is slavery under the law, All of those myriad laws, man-made of the Pharisees, as opposed to Sarah who lives in freedom, 
Not that she disobeys the law, but that there's new impetus, there's new motive, and there's new ability through grace, and thus freedom. In the Church of St. Paul's time, particularly in Galatia, there were agitators about, as I've mentioned, seeking them to retain the law and circumcision. St. Paul says, no, no, no. If this is true, if the law and circumcision save, what is the point of the crucifixion? What is the point of the precious blood of Christ? Then baptism has no meaning. But our Lord has given us baptism. He has shed His blood. He has died on the cross. A great price to win for us freedom from the law. And law in this sense, let us not confuse it with the Ten Commandments, that sort of thing. But a particular attitude which causes the multiplication of sin as opposed to the freedom of grace and of virtue. This is the proper dichotomy. So, when we have union with Christ, we experience in a profound way the peace of a good conscience. We have the consolation of hope that only Christ can give. We may be thinking, perhaps, that this epistle, these words that are put before us by the church this morning are time-bound. They're historical. They do not apply to us. But that is not true. For we... You and I are each tempted to allegiances other than that of Christ. We are tempted to believe a lie. And that lie is this, that the way of Christ is too difficult. It is a burdensome law. We forget. We forget quite readily the sweetness of the burden of Christ's yoke and how light it really is. We are tempted by forces that impel us to give up this freedom and peace of God's service for the slavery of the world, of passions, of vanity, of enslavement to sin. It's the same. It's the same lesson. The agitators perhaps might be different. But the dichotomy is still the same. For St. Paul is always in this, this, this framework, the flesh against the spirit. The flesh which wishes to drag us down, back into law and burdensome slavery. The spirit wishes to raise us up, to dignify our flesh by divinizing it by the life of the spirit through grace. Shall we give up our freedom won by the precious blood of Christ, and accept enslavement to sin and Satan? These are our temptations, and we have to recognize them, and sometimes it's important for us to put them in this framework, to have a clear understanding of what's really going on. We must have a rule of our higher selves over our lower. For Christian freedom is the opposite of all license. That is not what we mean by freedom. Freedom really is the ability, the wherewithal to do good to know the truth, to choose the good, to serve God. That's true freedom. All else is lie and slavery. It is ultimately our freedom to have glad acceptance of God's law, 
of a complete attuning of ourselves to God's will. What is God's will? Remember, His general will for all of us is our duty that flows from the sacraments we've received. Our daily duty. Attuning ourselves to God's will. This is why we're given frustrations and contradictions and difficulties. Not to make life difficult. To purify us. To attune ourselves to God's will. To kill that disordered self-love. So that we might be free. That's where our freedom is. Is in order, in proportion, in grace, in service of God. Consider for a moment, who is more free? Satan or St. Michael? St. Michael does the bidding of God Almighty at a moment's notice. But can we really say that he is less free than Satan who is chained in a pit of fire? Satan who is a slave to himself, his own pride. It's our misunderstanding of freedom that gets us into trouble. Freedom is always tied to truth, always tied to goodness, always tied to the service and will of God. Then we are truly free. Would anyone call Our Lady a slave? Far be it. And yet she was always attuned to God's will, accepting everything that He sent her. And she was the most free woman ever created. Those are our examples, those are our models to help us to understand freedom rightly and to fight the lies. How do we get to this freedom? How do we achieve it? Grace. Grace. We cannot achieve this freedom of our own. Remember, we were conceived and born slaves. We were born in original sin. We were at enmity with God. We were, as it were, the devil's own property. We could not redeem ourselves. The freedom comes as a gift with grace. It was purchased for us. We were set free by the Redeemer. And how do we keep that freedom? By living in the Redeemer. By recognize, recognizing Him as Savior. Recognizing our own weakness. Not grasping at things beyond us, but always and only grasping for grace. Being rapacious and avaricious, avaricious for grace and grace alone. For there is our freedom. There is our peace. There is our joy. Because there is God's love. And how do we achieve this freedom through grace? What is our part? For grace is a gift. We know how to achieve the grace, the sacraments. But what else? This is St. Paul's lesson in the allegory. To drive out the slave woman and her son, we must drive out the capital vices and their attendants. To drive out pride, avarice, sloth, lust, greed. All of them. And their concomitant friends. All the daughters of these wickedness things. To drive out slave-mindedness due to fear. Not to be slaves in our relationship with God. Not to fear in that sense, but fear offending, fear of risking anything that would put in jeopardy our relationship, put in jeopardy our freedom. 
We must fight our weaknesses, recognizing it and applying the appropriate remedies. Sometimes I think, and this is my own self, I've noted, I know this because I've done this. I have, admittedly, avoided the remedies, not because I think they don't work, but because I know they do. Have you experienced that? We avoid our prayers, we avoid the sacraments because we know they work. And we're not ready to give up our sins and our vices. That's got to be corrected. It has to be. We have to use the means, we have to want our freedom, we have to want to be good. In such a way as we put into effect the remedies we know work. Identifying our weakness and applying the remedies. Driving out human respect. Living only for the love and respect and the good thought of God, not the world. To eschew worldly advantage. What is, it, what, what is the advantage of the world? Unless it is as a tool for more grace, more virtue, and following the will of God. To get rid of all self-serving. To live a life of true charity. An imitation of our Savior. For He has not only come to save us, but to give us an example and give us power to live in that example. For He not only wins us freedom, but He enables us to keep it through His grace. And what are the fruits of this freedom? What is... What are the fruits of living in the grace of God? Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Gentleness. And one more time, kindness. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost.